So we have to shift our mindset to joy and silly joy is what I like to say. I tend to think of chocolate chip cookies or something silly that my kids did that makes me laugh and helps me recognize that holistically, I am a human being with a lot more in my life than this moment. So inhale, chocolate chip cookies and exhale. Sweaty palms, rapid breathing and heart pounding. These are some signals that you're about to experience a high-stakes moment. Now, these might come in many forms, whether it's a performance review, a negotiation, a sales pitch. Here to help us get better at our communication by sharing effective strategies to build confidence for every high-stakes communication moment is Jenna Lang. Jenna has been coaching and consulting executives to be more effective in their high-stakes business communication for over 20 years. Her experience crosses countries, industries, and communication challenges. Jenna works with senior leaders at companies including Microsoft, the Gates Foundation, the North Face, Expedia, and more. This is an episode for you if you're hoping to communicate with greater impact and learn the tools to meet your high-stakes communication moments with confidence. Hi. This is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Hello, Jenna, and welcome to the Explore This podcast. You are dialing in all the way from California, and we're very excited to have this chat with you. Yes, I am. I am. Yes, afternoon, kind of coming to the end of our day. So, yeah. Awesome. So Jenna, I had the privilege of learning from you at one of our Microsoft internal courses on high stakes communication. Very pivotal and very crucial learnings that I took away from my first year at the company. And we're so excited that we can translate that into a learning episode for our audience here today as well. So to kick things off, Jenna, let's start with the end goal in mind. Why is it important to nail every high stakes communication moment? So the high stakes term first needs to be defined. And then we need to get to why is it important to nail that? Because a lot of us say, when we think of high stakes, we think, oh, that's what executives are doing. Those are big pitches, big presentations. You know, that's the boardroom. And I don't do that. Well, yes, you do, right? So all of us are in high stakes moments. We define that by the amount of nerves that we bring into it. Are we feeling that pressure to perform? And if we're feeling that pressure to perform, that is high stakes. And those are the moments when we're creating impressions. And I would love to say those impressions don't matter, but they do. Because how many of us have walked away from even a simple moment where I, I love to use this as an example. You are sitting in a room of 12 people and someone says, okay, why don't we go around the room and everyone introduce themselves and say what you do? And you're thinking, okay. When are they going to come to be? And then the person goes in order and you see the person one, person two, and you're like, oh, that was great what they said. Oh, I should have said that. And then the next person, you're like, oh, I should have said that. And the next person, and you're like, I'm next. And you feel that panic and you're, you just shut down and you think, what are they going to say? We know how to introduce ourselves. I mean, this is not hard. But then we put all this pressure to perform on us and then it becomes high stakes. So we want to nail it because it creates an impression. And in order to do that, we really need to start taking a breath and recognizing that maybe this isn't high stakes. And how do I show up as the best version of myself, even though the side talk track is saying, oh, this is important, this is important, this is important. 
So high stakes needs to be defined for every individual. And then remembering that, yes, it does matter. We are always making an impression. And what kind of impression do you want to make at that moment? That's so relatable, to be honest. It's, it's funny because when you talk about, you know, let's go around a room and introduce ourselves. It's something easy. We should be able to articulately encapsulate what we do, but it can often be harder than we think. And as you yes. mentioned earlier, you know, these high stakes communication, it can be defining for career, reputation and self-esteem. And we're so excited we get to speak to you today because these can often be hard to navigate, right? Could you share with us maybe like a real life example? of a successful high-stake communication moment you've had? And what were some of the key takeaways you had from that moment? Yes, so I've had a lot in my lifetime. And I'm always checking myself because I love what I do and that I get to help other people with these moments, but that I'm also in these moments myself, walking onto a stage, talking to a group full of very, a room full of senior people, helping pitch for money. And then also in sales situations where there's a lot riding on a moment. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you one story. I started my career in high stakes communication in New York City in the financial services world. So I was working with a lot of what I would call power bankers and power investors. So there's a lot of stress and a lot of tension in these moments. And my job was to walk into a room full of individuals who are getting ready for a big presentation or pitch. They call them beauty contests, where you are trying to get the an organization to go IPO with you, or you're trying to get financing on your own. There's limited time and it's really a lot of pressure. So I'd walk into a room and it was a lot of individuals, a lot of usually men that were wearing ties that had been thrown to the side and they're all sweating. There's pizza boxes up to the ceiling and everyone's freaking out. And I have to walk into that room and I have to take control. And I have to say, all right, everyone, we have this presentation tomorrow. We have to get going. We have to get the messaging right. We have to figure out how to connect. And you've got to rehearse. And I've got to own that room. And that, as well as moments where I myself am walking into a high stakes sales situation, I always have to stop and remember to A, breathe, and B, figure out what's happening in the room and who do I need to be in this moment? And that is a really important part of our process. I'm not suggesting that you fake it till you make it, but I am suggesting that you walk into a room and you say to yourself, which character inside of me is going to resonate the most with this moment? And then you pull that character out and you become that. And you become that not in your, not in like becoming a new person entirely, but in the way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way that you carry yourself from your gestures to your movement, and then your mindset starts to shift. And I think that's really the most important thing when you think about these high stakes moments is if you can get yourself mentally prepared for that, you know you're going to perform well. So you become the character that the moment needs. And the way that you figure that out is practice, practice, practice. Jenna, it's quite a sight to see. I can only imagine and picture this in my head. Their stress levels just like going all the way up here. But then you need to walk in there confidently, bring everyone onto the same page and essentially, you know, prepare them for that very high stakes moment. And now that you've walked us through what an example of a high stake moment is in your personal life, and you spoke very briefly about mindset, this is a perfect, you know, opportunity to then ask you, 
what is a framework or a technique that you would like to share with our audience to use in terms of how we can manage ourselves in those high-stake moments? I mean, there are so many things that we can and cannot control, but if we take a step back and think about what we can control in terms of ourselves mm. and our mindset, we would love for you to take us through that. Yes, perfect. Okay, yes, I will say, Anne, and you are going to remember one of these tools and techniques that I talk about quite, quite frequently. So I'm going to talk about three things with regard to how do we get ourselves ready for this moment. So one is going to be an element of presence. One is going to be an element of practice. And then there's the technique of performance. So when I think of presence, one of the biggest challenges that I find my clients run into is they are in their heads. They're not in their bodies. So they are telling themselves a story the entire time that they're trying to navigate reading the room and answering their questions and getting through their own content. But in their minds, am I doing a good job? Oh, that person just looked away. Oh, they're not giving me eye contact. Oh, they're looking at their phone. And it's negative and negative and it's a negative top track. So they're not in their bodies. They're not present. They're thinking about something else. And you cannot be the best version of yourself unless you get present. So there's two very specific tactics that I'd recommend among a lot of other things that I do, as you well know. But for this audience, two things. Number one, lift, lighten, and settle. So what is lift, lighten, and settle? You inhale, you think about something or someone that brings you joy, and you exhale. Now, thinking about something or someone that brings you joy is so important because according to the National Science Foundation, 90% of the thoughts that we have in our head are on repeat, and 80% of those are negative. So we have to shift our mindset to joy and silly joy is what I like to say. I tend to think of chocolate chip cookies or something silly that my kids did that makes me laugh and helps me recognize that holistically, I am a human being with a lot more in my life than this moment. So inhale, chocolate chip cookies and exhale. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is we're not breathing from the right place when we are in a high stakes moment. We breathe shallowly. We breathe like a stressed person. Now, the way that we shift that is you actually force your shoulders down and you stick your belly out on the inhale. So you inhale and you fill your belly with air and then you exhale and you pull it in as if a bowling ball was going to be thrust into your belly. And you do that five times. Inhale, exhale, Inhale, exhale. Now it is counterintuitive to braise like that because we have been told to sit up tall and yes, we're going to suffer something soon and we're going to walk in. No, don't do that. No, belly breaths are going to help you get present. And if you're present, your voice is going to be strong. You're going to listen better and you're going to be more attuned to what your audience and your stakeholders are going to need. So lift, lighten, and settle, and then make those belly breaths. So that's a really important part of presence. The other thing is how you practice and get yourself ready for these moments. Now, I like to help people practice by putting themselves in the worst case scenario. Because if you're putting yourself in the worst case scenario, when you go to actually perform, that performance anxiety just goes away because you're like, I've already been through this. So I was a figure skater growing up. And I would get on the ice and practice and my coach would always make me perform at my high school hockey games. It was torture. 
all these cute guys and these hockey players and all these people in the stands that I knew. And like, you know, it was horrible. And I it was a high stakes moment. It was the worst. And I mean, they're all screaming fall. fall. I mean, these are, these are hockey fans. They don't want to see some girl in a tutu dancing around. Like it was horrible. So they're screaming at me. And I wanted to go do my performance in that environment. So if I did successful in that environment, then when I would do the actual competition, it was nothing. So how would one of your colleagues pull you aside and then ask you a ton of questions and dance in front of you and do all these crazy things to get you to move through that moment? One of the exercises I like to do is called the TV announcer. So I have somebody, let's say you're getting ready for a presentation. So you have a couple of friends and you walk through a door and they all stand up and they go, they start screaming and hooting and hollering. And then you have to walk in and say, hey, my name is Sarah Ann and I'm so excited to be there. So you feel that energy and that rush of that moment. You practice it. And then you realize, oh, it's not a big idea. You've already been through it. So presence and then practicing that performance so that it is not as hyped up as you make it when you walk into the room. You mentioned a final point on performance. Would you like to elaborate on that as well? Well, yes. And that, you know, it's important to stop and reflect that humans were not designed to be performers. We were not designed to walk into a room of thousands of people and give a presentation. All those eyes staring at you I mean, they usually are there to attack you or eat you. I mean, that's what humans were. That's what happens. So that fight or flight or freeze response is really natural for us. It's part of our DNA. We have to train our bodies to do things differently. And one of the exercises, Sarah, and you, you know this one, that I like to do is hard over a podcast to imagine this, that you all can practice this at home. I do this with my kids and my family. I've been doing this for years. I love it. It's called the five things exercise. And it is the best representation of simulating high stakes that I've found. And what it actually does is it triggers the threat response in us. What happens with a threat response is our brains shut down. And the reason our brains shut down is that we're getting ready to run or to fight somebody. So there's not as much blood in our brains to think. It's all in our limbs getting ready to do something. So we use this exercise to trigger that threat response because the threat response is often what happens when we're in a high stakes moment. So what you do is you ask a friend or a colleague to look you straight in the eye. And then you ask this colleague to give you a series of five things that you need to list. Now, here's the trick. Here's the part of this exercise that makes it really powerful. As you're listing the five things, you are not allowed to say, um, uh, like, you know, or one of the creative ones is, oh, I'm so glad you asked me that question, Sarah Ann, and then list that. None of that. You just list the five things and you don't break eye contact, even for a fraction of a second. Would you like to try it? I know it's hard to do in this podcast environment, but let's give it a go. Let's give it a go, Jenna. Okay, Bring it to perfect. life for our audience. Okay, we're doing this live. So if you were watching, you would be looking at me, look at Sarah Ann. And the minute she says, um, ah, the minute she looks away, I'm going to say, stop, start over. And I'm going to give her a new topic. And these are topics you know. More you practice this, the more you'll get comfortable with being the center of attention and silence. Two foundational things for high stakes communication. Okay, are you ready, Sarah Ann? I'm ready. Okay. 
five of your favorite apps on your phone? WhatsApp, Instagram, Twitter. You caught she got looking up. She got through three. She got through three and then she leapt away for a fraction of a second. So if you were doing this with Sarah Allen, you would say, okay, stop there. And now we're going to give you a new topic. And why are we giving you a new topic? Because you have to think. You have to think on your feet. And that's what so many of our clients say, oh my gosh, Jenna, help me think on my feet. Help me get comfortable in these high stakes moments so I can come across as a polished professional. Because sometimes I feel like I come across and I walk away from these moments and I say, oh, I wish I would have. I totally didn't answer that question the way I wanted to. Janice, do you want to give it a try? Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to give you a new topic. All right. Five of your favorite companies in the world. Okay, let's do it. Deloitte. You looked away. You looked away. Look me straight in the eye. Okay. Deloitte, Microsoft, Facebook. Uh, oh. oh. <laughs> it's so hard. It's and really funny, hard. And the funny thing is Other your questions it. are not hard. We know this at the tip of our fingertips. Of course you do. That's right. When she simulates the moment, you walk away from a conversation and you think, I know that number when an executive looks at you and said, how much are we off this quarter? And you know that because that's your job. But instead of saying it, you go, um, uh, and you look away. The point being that moment, that moment in time breaks the connection and creates an impression. And if you could create the impression of, I've got this, it's 40%. And you take your time. And you allow yourself a second to breathe so you can access your brain. That's what we want to get to. Because when you're in your most comfortable moments in life with the people that you love and who love you, you don't say um and ah and hesitate and have these weird moments. You just don't. And you're the best version of yourself. But when you put pressure on yourself to perform, a whole other person comes out. And we want that person to be the best version of you. That's such a practical and great exercise that you recommended, Jenna. And, you know, we're doing this virtually right now, but we so recommend for our audience to try this out in person because imagine just this exercise of looking someone intently eye to eye. It's a very intimate move as well. It really simulates you being on your feet, thinking on your toes and, you know, showing up under pressure. Yes. And we, I need to caveat this, Sarah and Janice, because what I want to make sure people don't walk away with is that this is just an exercise to learn these techniques. I do not suggest you go into your boss's office, stare them down and say, the five reasons why you need to promote me are one. No, please don't. Please don't. Please yeah, that's don't not what you're learning like, from no, here. No, no, no. This is just working that muscle of okay and silence. And I'm okay with connection. That's really good because I would say, you know, on a personal note, like the tendency is always to jump straight into answer mode and to have this impression that you're able to think on your feet quickly. So really appreciate the tips that you shared on, you know, taking that moment. And it's so crucial, right? Because that moment before you launch into an answer allows you to ground yourself. So I think that's really useful and definitely we'll be incorporating that into my own high sticks moment as well. So we're going to take a bit of a turn here. You shared with us so many tips on how we can manage our own mindset, how we can get into that performance mode. Now we want to explore about when we're in a high stakes conversation, how do we manage the feelings, emotions, the needs of the person on the receiving end? How can we 
effectively communicate our needs, our interests in a high stakes moment while being able to effectively manage how the other person on the other end is responding to us. A lot of us, to your point, Janice, earlier, that we get asked a question and we want to show people how smart we are with our answer. And I don't know if any of your listeners have had this situation, but you talk, you talk, you talk, and then you don't know how to stop talking. And you think, I just said too much, but I don't know how to stop myself. So the biggest thing I would say is when you're in these moments of persuasion, the more the other person gets to talk, the better your outcome will be. And that's hard to do in the moment, particularly when the stakes are high and there's a very senior executive in front of you for you to stop and say, so if I'm understanding correctly, this is what you're looking for. Did I get that right? And you check it and you ask a question back. Now, in that person's response, you're going to learn two things. You're going to learn, A, what they need from a content standpoint and B, what they need from a style standpoint. So you listen to the words and you think, okay, this person just asked me about budget constraints. And I went back and said, okay, so I understand that there's some budget constraints right now. Tell me a little bit more about how this is manifesting inside your organization. And then we have two different answers. One is, yeah, it's been so hard. I mean, people are just struggling right now. They're really having a hard time feeling connected to our culture and our mission, and they just don't want to work. So that's one answer. And then you have the other person who's like, yeah, we have no money. So two different answers to the same pro, same question you just asked. And stylistically, you probably have two different ways of responding. So if you think about that, that first response, what would you do? How would you answer that person? And I'm just going to throw this out to the two of you. How would you answer that person? This is a tough one, but I'll, I'll try to explore a bit more questions just to try to hear them out rather than to launch straight into, you know, what is it that I want to want to tell them? Yeah. What was this person feeling? Probably not too happy. <laughs> they were feeling a lot. Oh, my team and they're having a hard time. And you can just hear in this tone of their voice yeah. that they're struggling. Yeah. And in that moment, what you choose is you say, okay, I'm going to choose the character that I have in me that is the most empathetic. And that character leans in, they soften their voice, they use softer gestures, and they say, sounds like it's hard right now. Yes. The empathy. And that's what they do. Yeah, they lean in with that empathetic side. So you pick that persona inside of you, which we all have, which is the persona that's talking to our friends and our family who are going through a hard time. What do we do when our friends and our family are going through a hard time? We tend to speak asymmetrically. So we lean our bodies one way to the next. We're not straight. We're not commanding. We're more curious. We tend to use softer gestures. We use a softer voice. We soften our face. Now, if you go asymmetrical, soften your gestures and soften your face, everything that comes out of your mouth in that moment will change. So you change your body first and what comes out will change second. Sounds like it's hard. Then you got this other person who's like, we don't have any money right now. Now, who is that character? We all have that character in us too, which is the, what's your point? Get to the bottom line. I'm in traffic, honking my horn. Late, very hostile. Like, <laughs> just, I don't have any time. Like we all have that character in us. And so 
what does that character do with their face? What does your face look like when you don't have time, Janice? The kind of face that shuts down any sort of conversation. Yeah. You're very stern. You're probably more symmetrical with your posture. You're using more of these gestures. You're in command and control mode. Command and control mode on your body looks very different from curious and empathetic mode. So to come back to your question, how do I match what I need with what this person is showing me? And once we have figured out how to get present, meaning we're not thinking about ourselves and the Tom Frick in our heads, then we stop and we say, what is this person showing me in terms of what they say and how they say it that helps me understand who needs to show up right now? And we shift our bodies into that character. And we have all of these characters in us, all of them. It's just a matter of finding the right one for the right moment. And a lot of us walk away from conversations and we feel it. We feel the moment that we've lost somebody. We can sense it, but then we don't do anything about it. And we walk away and we're like, oh, I wish I would have. So we want to avoid that and tap into the persona that you know is going to be the best persona for that moment. That's what I'd recommend. Okay, Jenna, really good points. And then I think it leads perfectly into questions about nonverbal cues then. And can you share with the role that nonverbal communication would play in such high-stake moments? And more importantly, how then can we read and interpret this nonverbal cues from others effectively? And add all of that into the mix, we've got, you know, the current hybrid world of working where everything is virtual and on a screen. There is only so much that we can take away when we talk about you know, reading a room. The room is limited to this screen, you know. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, what you said at the end is the most important part. And you said, you said a lot there. So I'm going to take chunks of what you said and just replay back to you to see which one of those you want to cover first. So what is the role of nonverbal? That was one of it. What is the role of nonverbal? How do we effectively read nonverbal and others? How do we manage that hybrid environment where we're supposed to be kind of navigating it all? So I'll take them in order and I'm going to start with that expression. It's hard. It is hard. And I kind of want to go into my head and get into the science of the impacts that all of this has had on us because our brains were not wired to have two-dimensional conversations like this. And it is really, really difficult. The threat of all of these eyes on us when we're presenting in an environment where people have their cameras on is so much worse for our brains than if we were in person. It triggers that fight or flight response and that threat response faster than anything in person. So just know that. And the the impact on our bodies at right now is, I mean, we've just started to crack the surface of what this is going to do. We really don't even know. So that that's kind of the big one of the virtual environment. The the role of nonverbals. So Nonverbals is how, when we are babies, we understand how to make sense of the world. So if you've ever looked at a little baby learning how to smile, how does the baby learn how to smile? They learn how to smile by watching the face of the caretaker smile. And that's how they learn it. So we are watching humans all the time to understand how we need to behave. And the nonverbals that we don't always pay attention to are posture, gestures, movement, facial expressions, voice. All of those things matter. And what's fascinating about the work that I do is a lot of people pay attention to the feeling and not the observation. So let me explain what I mean by this. 
people will walk away from a presentation and they will say, that presenter was so dynamic and engaging. Or, ooh, kind of boring. Ah, they just don't know what they're doing. So that's what they felt. But what did they see to make them feel that way? And that's when things start to get really interesting because it's the nonverbals that make your audience feel what they feel. So if you've ever been told, hey, you need to have more confidence, which is a comment I can't stand. Oh, you should have more confidence when you're presenting. Okay, well, where do I go get that? Thank you very much. That was so helpful. I don't know how to go get confidence. It's not bad because you're doing something that makes them feel like you don't have confidence. And that's where nonverbals come into play. So when you walk into a room, I gave you that exercise of that TV announcer. You walk in that room, you own that room, you're using your hands and your face, and you're the biggest, best version of yourself. People say, I want to listen to this person. Or you put your hands next to your pockets and you kind of shrink and you look down. You know, I find a lot of the women that I work with, they walk into rooms and they're looking down. They're not looking at people. They walk on stage, they're looking at the stage. Now, granted, a lot of us are wearing heels and we don't want to trip. So I understand why they're looking down, but then you got to practice walking on stage. Like you got to practice with the heel on so you're not looking down. So people are looking at that. And they are judging that and they are deciding how they feel based on what, how you're presenting, not what you say. And if how you're presenting turns them off, they're never going to listen to what you say. So the role of nonverbals is so important. And now that is for you as you command a room and, and try to get people to listen to you. Then the second piece that you asked is how do you read nonverbals in others? And that's where it gets really, really tricky. And it's going to continue to get tricky in the age of open AI and bots and all of this technology and deep fakes that make us wonder, am I talking to a human or not? Because they're getting really, really good. So how do you read the nonverbals? And are those nonverbals authentic? And I think that is where, to get heady for a minute, that is where the world is going to really be an, an interesting place here shortly. Because being able to read and discern authenticity is going to become even more challenging. So typically I'd say, all right, well, if you have a room full of people that are not engaged because they're not in the chat, you know, if you're virtual or they're looking down in their phones and they're just, then, you know, you've got to shift things up. But these days it's hard to know who you're really talking to. I'd say the one thing that I spend a lot of time talking to my clients about is generating moments for engagement throughout conversation very intentionally. And personally, I do this every minute to two minutes when I'm speaking. I'm doing a keynote tomorrow. Within the first minute, I'm asking people to raise their hands. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you wanted to speak up and didn't feel like you could? They raise their hands. Now, what does that do? A, they're thinking, oh, it's one of these conversations. Like, I have to pay attention. B, I had to physically move. So that shifts the energy in my body. C, she's caring about what I think. So this is more of a conversation than a presentation. So you need to think of your moments, these presentations and these conversations as opportunities for you to listen, not to talk. And the way that you do that is you drive more and more engagement when you are trying to get things out of people. And when you do that, you see how they react. You hear what they say and you know if you're on or off. So you asked a big question and I gave you a big answer, but Reading people nowadays is really hard and we need to practice as much as possible. The only two things you have in the virtual environment if cameras are not on are actually there's three things. Get a standing desk. I'm on one right now because you are going to move more. Two, use your hands more than you think you should, even when no one has a camera on, because if I move my hands, 
the energy in my voice shifts. And second, practice that inhale, exhale, and pause more than you think you do. Me too, because a pause for you in an in-person environment doesn't have to be long, but in a virtual environment, you need to make it even that much longer because people are not paying attention. I know all of the listeners to this podcast have been just sitting down, listening to every word. You're not doing other things. You're just totally focused. But other people in the world are not. Just I'm saying, you are an exceptional group of listeners, but there's other people out there that are just not. They're doing other things while they're listening to podcasts. I know that's not you. I just want to say that. It's not you. I think those are, you know, definitely very relevant tips in this sort of Zoom hybrid world that we're in today, right? Like even in meetings, I think more often than not, we are being asked to turn on our camera, not just for the presenters, but all the participants in a room as well, because that changes the energy completely when you're able to see how people's facial reactions are. What are your thoughts on different cultural nuances when it comes to non-verbal cues? Oh, gosh, that's such a good one. I thought I was going to go into international human resources as a career. That's when I finished my MBA. That's what I wanted to get into. I speak three languages. I've lived in a lot of different countries. And I am fascinated with the cultural differences in communication. I went to an international business school. And I remember being on a lot of projects with people from all over the world. And one of the you know, the assumptions that all of us tend to make is that people are going to understand our culture. No, they're not. They are not going to understand our communication style. They're not going to understand our nuances. And we do these global organizations a massive disservice by having where the organization is headquartered be the culture, the prominent culture in that organization. We end up excluding a lot of people by doing that. And, the, and, it, and they shouldn't necessarily have to conform. So I'd say the first thing that everyone should do when they're communicating to a global audience, which we do not do enough of, and we are all communicating to global audiences these days, is preparation. And say, okay, I'm about to tell a story about now. Is the audience I'm talking to going to get it? Like, are they dealing with snow? Have they ever seen snow? Do they have snow? No, they don't. So why are you talking about snow? And as simple as that is, it is the shift from the me to the we and how we really need to be considering, okay, how does this work? Eye contact, the five things exercise that I just did. There are a lot more elements of eye contact across the globe that we need to take into consideration. Like there's things that we, we've learned from our upbringing about the importance or of using eye contact or not using eye contact. Like I was raised by a, in a family where I had to say, yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. I had to say that growing up. Like that's a little nuance that changes how you approach people and your deference to authority. So culturally, I think the biggest thing that people need to consider is stop, think, prepare for connection. And that's going to require a little bit of work on your part to understand who am I talking to? And how is this going to land on them? But stop, think, and focus on connection. Because like I said at the beginning of this podcast, if they don't want to listen to you, there's no reason to open your mouth. Well, Jenna, bringing everything that you've shared with us now back into the context that will be the most relevant to our audiences. And that context that I'm referring to is 
the mid-year performance review. As you know, we are a quarter way through the year. And so it's yeah. also relevant because mid-year performance reviews will be happening soon. And in fact, I recall that you recently conducted your LinkedIn Live session, Coffee and Comms, if I recall correctly. Yes. That's right. That's right. I, yes. You know what? That's so funny that you bring this up if we were talking about global. It's got to be something other than coffee because I'm drinking coffee, but that doesn't mean that people around the world are drinking coffee. So, exactly. Yeah, something, yeah something else. Ew, coffee right now. Yeah. Oh, a good bite. Yeah. So in that session, Jenna, you discussed preparing for those performance review. And, you know, mm -hmm. performance reviews are essentially one of the most intimate as well as critical high stakes communication moments that each individual will have with their respective managers and bosses. And it's our opportunity to advocate and spotlight our value. We'd love to pick your brain on what are some best practices that we can keep in mind during these very relevant high-stakes moments. For the high-stakes moment of, hey, this is what I want. And being ready to receive the feedback that ask. I mean, those are two things, right? It's one, advocating for yourself and asking for what you want and also being ready to hear, why might you not get that right now? And then making sure you hold that person accountable. So I'm going to talk about preparation and then performance. And I've talked about that structure a little bit. So preparation. So the first thing you need to do is write down what you want. Now, I know it seems really crazy, but most people don't. They go into these performance reviews and they have a vague idea of what they want, but they're more waiting to hear what they deserve. No, right? Like, why aren't you going in and saying, this is what I want and this is why I deserve it. And you list specific measurable reasons why what you want is something that you deserve. Now, after you've done that, then you take the next step and you say, why would this person want to give it to me? So that's that so what. So the first step is, what do I want? The second step is, why would they give it to me? And the structure of that is, what I would like is I would like every Friday off. And the reason I want every Friday off is that studies have shown and data point and I'm always getting my work done and there are no meetings I'm, and data, 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 right? Now, the reason why you are going to benefit from giving me Fridays off is that we're working in a global community. I'm mainly talking to the APEC region. They have already gone home on Fridays and for the case. So you're going to get more productivity off me on Sundays than you are on Mondays. And then I'm going to make you look good or I'm going to save you time or I'm going to help you make money. So you see, rather than me coming in and saying, I want to raise, give it to me. I'm saying, I want to raise because you are going to look good by giving me a raise because promoting people that have done what I've done is going to tell your organization that that's the kind of leader you are. Oh, you've just made your ass about them. So that is something that we often miss in these performance reviews. So prepare, what do you want? Why do you deserve it with data? Then what it means for them, that so what factor. And then we add this next piece, which is why now? And most people miss this one. So we have the what I want, so what, what it means for you, but why now? There are so many things going on in our macro environment that you can weave into the conversation. Bring that in to create a sense of urgency. Because I might say, hey, you should promote me because the team is watching who you promote. And by promoting me, who has worked really, really hard and delivered XX and X over the last three years, it's going to make you look good and make this team feel excited about being here. Okay, so that's your so what. 
And the reason that we need this right now is in this world of layoffs and doing more with less, people who are putting in that extra effort, getting something like a promotion is only going to tell the organization that we really still care about investing in people. And that is why it's so important right now, like in the next quarter. Because a lot of times we ask for things that we have a good so what, but then nothing happens. And the reason nothing happens is we haven't given that compelling reason, that why now, to make people have a sense of urgency about why they need to make it. Now, a lot of us use threats in why now. We're saying, well, I'm going to leave because I got another offer. Think of the impact of that, right? The why now needs to be about what they're going to gain by giving you what you want right now. So what why now is a really great framework for getting ready for these meetings. And then you do this. For those listeners, I'm showing my phone to Janice and Sarianne right now. You put this thing in front of you. You record yourself asking for what you want. You record this and then you go back and watch it and you cut it in half. And then you cut it in half again. And then you cut it in half again. Because when we are nervous and uncomfortable and asking for something, we over talk. So keep it concise. Ask for what you want. Then stop and let them talk. Those are really actionable and great tips, Jenna. Share with our audience one big pitfall to avoid. What, what would it be? Defensiveness. Now, the listeners, you might be thinking, okay, what does she mean by that? Two things that defensiveness ways they show up physically on our bodies and then in our words. So the physical is pulling back, crossing our arms, looking down, showing in our bodies that we've stopped listening. So you want to open up your arms, stay in curiosity, even if you're hearing something hard, even if someone's saying, you know what, Janice, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're ready. I haven't seen the performance that I'm looking for and you need a little bit more time. That hurts. That's hard. And our bodies want to shrink. We want to go into a shell and we want to protect ourselves. Stay open, lean forward, stay curious, find out more. So that's physical. In content, you want to say, I'm curious about that. Tell me more. You want to stay open and avoid, yeah, but I actually did this. Yeah, but that person already did it. Yeah, but, yeah, but that's the beginning of defensiveness. So try to avoid rationalizing and just ask questions. Stay curious in this moment so you can understand what is it you need to do? When do you need to do it by to get what you want? That's what you need. That's so good. the pitfall. Yeah. So, so good. I think a lot of us will be able to relate to that. And to wrap up, uh, Jenna, you've shared with us, you know, really actionable tips. And we're going to wrap up with our final question for you. And it's a question that we like to ask all of our guests on the Explore This podcast, which is, what is the one thing that you would like to explore more of? It could be anything. Um, I already talked about it briefly, and I am obsessed with it, which is this idea of how do we measure and detect authenticity? Because I believe that it's a myth right now, and we need to start focusing more on connecting and finding common ground with humans rather than authenticity. Because we, we just spent too much time being like, I want to be authentic. I want to be my authentic self. So, yeah, but what if your authentic self isn't connecting? What do you need to shift in that? And also, technology is going to make authenticity something of the past anyway. So I'm really interested in the role of technology in impacting authenticity and how I can help humans shift that mindset into one of connection and curiosity. Because if we spend more time focusing on connection and being curious about other humans, I think the world would be a much better place. 
Thank you, Jenna, for that. And we'll be sure to also stay tuned and continue learning from you through your coffee and comms sharing, where you yes. might also dive further into this topic of authenticity. So we'll be sure to keep an eye out for that. So in today's episode, Jenna, just to wrap things up, you spoke so well and deeply to help us understand about the definition of high-stakes communication, how we can manage ourselves through presence, practice, and performance. You also gave this incredibly relevant as well as practical exercise we can do, the five things exercise. So for any of our listeners who want to even practice this exercise with Janice and I, you know, we're all up for that. <laughs> you also discuss nonverbal cues, especially in this hybrid world. And last but not least, you shared with us some important tips in preparation for performance review, which we all will be going through very soon. You spoke about the what, the so what, and more importantly, the why now. So thank you so much once again, Jenna, for this conversation. We can't wait to actually put into practice the things that you've taught us today. Absolutely. Thank Thanks, you, Sarah. Jenna. If you stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We would love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every alternate Mondays at 8pm. See you then!